And uh, the purpose of these Christ in Culture chapels is for us to identify some of the uh, hot topic issues that are happening in culture today, uh, generally speaking, but also as we think about what's happening in the college culture of today's typical college student, college universities uh, across the country. And we've come up with a topic that we think really uh, is pertinent to every college student and every young adult and every middle-aged adult like myself uh, that deal with the stresses and strains of life and how we navigate those things. So the topic today, and we have four panelists and a facilitator, and we're going to be talking together about the issue of emotional wellness, emotional health, mental health, wellness, all of those things in uh, kind of the same thing. So I want you to welcome Todd Monger. He's our facilitator. He is going to introduce our panelists. So Todd, take it away. Good morning. All right, we got Dr. Alan Tennyson. We got Beth Brown, Aaron White. And Sean, I'm like, where's Sean? He's not here. He was stuck back there. So um, I get this weird table over here, I guess. And so you know that I'm facilitating, I guess. So I have this space. Um, so a couple of introductory comments um, for those of you who maybe have not been at one of these before. And they're all a little bit different. Uh, we want to create a space to have conversations, critical conversations, difficult conversations, important conversations. Um, but one of the roles that we feel charged with as staff and faculty um, is how do you model doing life sometimes? Um, and so these conversations, and I'm not a big fan of the stools, although this is why. Last time we had the couches up here, that, that was kind of nice. Because when you have stools, it feels like we're talking at you. Um, but what we really want to do is talk kind of at each other, because we want to model. Um, so maybe we should like move out stools out a little bit, so you guys can look at each other. Because otherwise, you feel like we're experts talking to you, and this is how you're supposed to do this. Um, but it's not. That's not the intention of this. The intention is almost like a fishbowl experience, so you can hear us talk about it. And then maybe you learn about it, see it, but not everyone has the same opinions, same experiences, and that's okay. And that's really important in today's culture and time that we can sit with spaces and sit with people that maybe don't have the same opinion on very challenging and difficult topics that are often very emotional because we all have our own story and experience and narrative that we bring to that. So today we chose um, this, this topic. Um, and I, I just want to do this. I'm, not, I, I'm an extrovert, so this stuff doesn't bother me. Introverts, just help me out here. Bear with me. Uh, if you don't do this till I say go, it, but if you have either someone in your family, someone in your immediate sphere of influence, or yourself, someone you know who has struggled with either mental illness, a mental health issue, or struggles with emotional wellness, put your hand up. All right, so just take a look around. Keep it up, keep it up. If you know someone, seen someone, all right, there's a lot of people in this room that, uh, you put your hands down now, that, that deal with this. So we know this is a real issue. Um, and none of us are experts in this. Uh, some of us have licenses, some of us have credentials, some of us have studied this, but it's always challenging when you say, well, you're an expert, you should know the answer. 
in a very kind of ambiguous world that's, that's kind of always changing. So, um, so today we're going to have a conversation. And following our conversation today, um, we, when we do Christ and Culture, we always have a continuing the conversation after this. Now, today we're going to do it a little bit different. It's going to be in the aquarium, uh, that back room, if you're new to North Central and don't know the little fishbowl experience at the back of the, the cafeteria. We want you to uh, grab, grab your lunch, meal plan it, go through, get your lunch, and if you want to continue the conversation, we're going to meet in the uh, aquarium and then at, at noon. And then I'm going to field questions, and we're going to talk kind of as a group about this topic. And if there's places where I can kind of give insight, for, for those you don't know, I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, to try and sometimes it's like, I just don't know what to do. Can you give me some tips or tricks? So we're going to have a little bit more of that conversation um, this afternoon, because I know today we're not going to have time to get into, but what, how do we do this? Or what, what are some of the ideas that we can, we can help our friends or help ourselves? So if you're interested in that, um, feel free to join us, and, and I'll announce that at the end, too. So... Um, I'm going to start these questions. We do have a, as always, the um, field of question. We get that up there. If you have a question about this, uh, you can text it. Well, that's down the bottom there. Submit questions to that link down there. Um, and then we're going to field them halfway through this if there's some in there. So, all right. We ready, panel? Here's, here's the first question. All right. Um, Three terms, mental illness, mental health, and emotional wellness. I just, part of this process is like, let's define a little bit of what we're talking about. And sometimes these terms are thrown out there. So in your experience, as we talk to one another, what's your experience with these three terms? Do you think they're the same? Do you think they're different? There's your first question. Mental illness, mental to this health, and emotional wellness. Um, so I would consider, well, I am a mental health professional. And so I tend to use the phrase mental health more than I will mental illness because I feel like there's a little more stigma to the word illness. Um, we're all working towards health. Um, emotional well-being, I mean, we could lump them all in and say they're the same, right? But emotional well-being might be something that somebody might say, you know, I don't actually have a clinical diagnosis, but I am I am somebody that can sometimes be depressed. I can sometimes be exhausted. I can, how many of you all, right? If you were in my class yesterday, we did an entire lecture on stress management. Um, we all can get there. And so we say, you know what, I'm going to work on my emotional well-being so that I can be strong, so that I don't experience burnout in my career path. Um, so that I can be well for my family and my friends. Um, but personally, I tend to lean more on mental health versus mental illness, if it's the two words. That's just my personal preference. Other thoughts from the panel? Uh, I'm going to uh, throw out a, a good Christian word here, shalom. Uh, when I think of emotional well-being, one thing I think of is this uh, biblical concept of shalom. A shalom that we sometimes translate as peace is really the way things that are expected to be. And that when you have shalom, say, in your government, you have a civil society. When you have shalom in your family, you have a functional society. When you have shalom in your body, you have physical health. When you have shalom in your interior, you have emotional well-being. And yet all of these, and of course, when you don't have that, we might call it dysfunctional family. We, we might talk about an uncivil society. What you're really talking about on all those is a lack of shalom, 
a lack of things being the way that they're supposed to be and fit together. And so when I think of emotional well-being, one thing I think of is that idea of shalom. What is my interior supposed to look like? How am I supposed to function in that way? Um, well, I, I really like that because, you know, as we're talking about it, the thing that came to me is, well, every, it's all interconnected. Um, I get that we talk about the mind and the heart, the body and all of these things, but I, I, when you're talking about shalom, you're talking about the mental, emotional health, I'm like picturing it, well, I mean, can you really have, you know, one without the other? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, and I, I, for myself, I really don't think so. When my emotions are out of whack, it affects my mental health. Um, when my brain is out of whack, it affects my emotional well-being. You know what I mean? All of these variety of things. If I don't drink enough water and I'm not appropriately hydrated, it can affect both my mental and my emotional well-being. And, and, even, and when my family is out of whack, yes. that affects my emotional well-being. Yeah. If my work is out of whack, yeah. that affects my emotional well-being. I think you're, all of these things are interconnected. Yeah. All right. So the first question's come in, and I'm going to answer it. Question, this is, you might say, that's the weird question. Why is there not a psychology person on the panel? <laughs> Fair. It's a good question. So I'll just answer that question. Coming up with a panel is tricky sometimes because you say, hey, who wants to do this? And it's like, I'm busy. I got something to do. I can't be here. We only have a few psychology professors around. And then we also have kind of a meeting where we get a, not even all of these people are there. Uh, and uh, we talk about it and figure out who should be on there. And then we, we do that. So at this particular panel, we're not able to get a psychology person on the panel. So there you go. So hopefully that's the answer. It might not be the answer you want. Um, and I would say that, well, the psychology person, that's the guy or the girl that has the answer. They know, and they're not even up there. But this is an ambiguous world. So... Bring your question this afternoon to lunch, and then we can talk more about it. All right, here's your next question. Okay, keep your questions coming in. I'm getting them on my, my text here. So, uh, in your time here at NCU, how have you experienced this issue changing or evolving over time? The issue, and I, you can pick your term that you like, mental health, emotional wellness, whatever it is, but just this this thing, how has that changed? We've all been here kind of different lengths of time. Has it stayed the same? Has it shifted? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What are things that have changed? I'm not sure if this is kind of how things have changed or how it, and such, but so I, I'm in my seventh year at North Central uh, representing College of Business and Technology. We tend to, by discipline, by orientation, and our personalities be performance-oriented. We accomplish things, we achieve things, we want things to become better. We think about efficiency, and none of that really speaks to kind of emotional health, wellness, you know, um, a relational well-being. I'll say what we've, I don't know if it's a change, but we've, we've sort of toyed with how we deal with this. We're, I think, as concerned or focused on this issue as about anything. When we have a team meeting as a college, the first item on the list is, is student care, because it matters. Like, are, are we meeting the needs of students? When I'm meeting with my faculty, even you know, since this fall, 
we, we talk about doing things better in the classrooms, doing things better as a college. Are we getting internships and job opportunities, all those performance kinds of things, and we're killing it. But honestly, I have as many conversations about how are you doing in terms of wellness. And I might have a conversation with the faculty where I'm like, uh, you're teaching an evening class this night. Honestly, I, I can't tell you what to do, but I'm encouraging you to not set an alarm the next morning and give yourself the freedom to not get in because you have a packed day Give yourself some rest, and I'm thinking about your well-being. So we're, it's, over the last seven years for me, I think we're having more well-being conversations. How are we doing in terms of care of others, self-care, uh, than we have ever had before? Just recognizing that even though we're oriented towards results and performance, that if, if, if we as leaders, and if our students aren't emotionally healthy well, um, that we're, nothing else really matters. Yeah, I think, and I'm going to make this a little bit, not just my time here at North Central, but I've been teaching at the college level uh, since 2001. And so I've been at other schools as well. And, and one thing that I think has been true across the board is the same kinds of things that affect emotional well-being. Uh, so students who are struggling, and this is always a huge factor, lack of sleep. I don't know how many times I've dealt with students that are struggling. And one of my questions is, how are you sleeping? And one of the things is, okay, we got to work on that because that lack of sleep is at the heart of so many times students who are struggling, relationships. Uh, some students, you know, in college and at all the schools I've been at, it's colleges where they experience their first real heartbreak. Uh, it's college where they start to feel more isolated in certain ways than they did in high school. And so these things come out. And then, of course, the stress of college. Uh, you know, I don't know how many times as a faculty member we have those emotional well-being conversations the week before finals. Uh, because now it feels like the entire world is kind of on your shoulders. So on the one hand, I've seen those factors remain the same, but what I think is different is students seem to be better able at naming emotional well-being and ready to have those kinds of conversations and to just say, look, I'm struggling in this particular area, whereas earlier it was sometimes hard to have those conversations with students because students didn't want to admit weakness. You know, I think no one else is having these struggles, and so I don't want to be the only one that does. And I think more and more I've seen students, they know that they're not the only one, and they're much more comfortable talking about this. I, when I, I transferred to North Central in 2001, <clears throat> um, and at that time the top two fears for college students reported across America was fear of public speaking um, and fear of death. I, relatively good fears, I would say. <laughs> Um, today, for college-age students, the you know not everybody, of course, will fit into this. But on average, the top fear is failure. Um, ooh, gonna cry. Uh, the number two um, fear is uh, loneliness. Uh, when you take that in context of things like uh, we have greater access today to information at such a fast pace. We can see things from anywhere, anytime we want. Um, and we have access to this information, which is like super amazing. Um, we also have, you know, the Insta face or whatever you want to call it, this like curated perfect image that's not real, but we compare ourselves to it. And all of these things, this overwhelming uh, like immobilizing fear sometimes of failure and loneliness and then how we compare to one another against this like false ideal and the added stress of college costs more now than ever in history 
um, students today experienced more are more likely to have families that lost their jobs, lost their houses. So finances are a huge factor. I mean, it's so much stuff <laughs> to manage. How can you not be um, overwhelmed at times? It's it's. Uh, I read a report this morning that 80 percent of Gen Z which is you're born 1995 to 2012, um, 80% uh, reported in the National College Health Survey that they experienced mild to moderate depression or anxiety. Uh, when I was a student, that was more like 20%. And so I think because of that, now maybe it's people are more comfortable reporting today than in the past. Uh, you know, I don't know, that could be a factor. But it seems like more students are experiencing more things. And it's not the student's fault. Um, and I think one thing that's really positive, uh, has been somewhat positive though, is not that there's not still a stigma around things, uh, but it seems students are more willing to talk about things than they were when I was a student. Okay, good. So I'm gonna ask, we've got a, a bunch of great questions coming in. We're not gonna be able to get to all of them. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna ask a, a couple of questions from from the audience, and then I'm gonna summarize it with a question I already had, which I hopefully will, will articulate that. But sometimes it's valuable, like, hey, that was my question, they read it, that's cool, right? Um, so one is, and this is gonna be our theology piece, this is gonna be our tie-in to how do we do this as Christians, which is what this is about. If as Christians we really know the truth of who he, God, who he is and we are, how can we be depressed? Depression isn't from God. So that's a question that came in. I'm going to ask another question. How can I build my self-worth and body image? I know I have identity in Christ, but I struggle to believe that and to not compare myself to others around me. So those are a couple of questions. There's a few others in there, but those are the two that I'm going to put in there. I'm going to kind of use this as our discussion question. How? Okay, stop texting me for a second. So I can read my question. How does the church and or faith help or hinder people who are facing these challenges? So take that. That's a fairly broad question, I know, but that's why I wanted to kind of preface it without two dedicated questions. You know, I'll say I remember going to Dr. Graham last semester uh, after, you know, somebody said something from the platform here um, that was just one of those let's pray it away kind of things and several students coming up and um and so and it wasn't going to complain to Dr. Graham I was going and saying hey what can we do that we can present a face or we can present this topic to our student body to have them help them understand that that isn't our stance that we aren't a pray it away kind of place we understand that depression and anxiety um and all of these other um it's not something that you can always just walk down here and you can have somebody say a short little prayer for you and and then it always god can do that but i think that's a big part of the problem that in the church it's been um, that we haven't always looked at mental well-being or mental health on the same way we have physical health and if somebody came down here and they had cancer and we prayed for them and then they go home and they still have cancer, we wouldn't put shame upon them. We wouldn't put that, well, you didn't pray hard enough. Maybe there are some circles that would, but that wouldn't be the norm. 
But we have done that for too many years, in my opinion, when it comes to issues of the mind. And I think we take on scriptures such as, uh, I don't, I'm not going to remember the reference, but where it talks about be anxious about nothing, right? Um, and, and we take that and we hold it over ourselves or we hold it over other people and show that as some kind of a lack of faith. Um, however... Anxiety is not just a, oh, I'm just worried about something today, but it actually changes our brain. Uh, anxiety and depression, and, and so there is a, a physical component that goes along with them as well. I can on a daily basis decide in a moment, oh man, I'm worrying about this thing. I don't need to worry about this. But then there's this something different about clinical level depression and anxiety, um, more than just the everyday choosing to pick something up or not. Yeah, I, I'm going to piggyback off of that. I think we have to remember, one, that suffering is a part of the Christian life. Uh, you don't get the crown until you bear the cross, because we're called to follow Jesus. And sometimes we offer versions of the Christian faith uh, that basically act as if this is heaven already. And we don't realize that's not what the New Testament actually teaches. Uh, we still experience suffering. We still experience sickness. We still experience growth in the midst of having temptation, in the midst of still experiencing healing, in the midst of still experiencing death. You don't get a resurrection without dying. And so sometimes we try to have it as one way or the other. I always say to my students, you don't get to preach divine healing until you have a theology of suffering and death. Because healing is always a reflection of the resurrection, and resurrection always entails death. You can't have one without the other, otherwise you're skipping half the New Testament. And so I think sometimes as Christians, we have to recognize, is something I'm experiencing here a result of sickness? Uh, is something I'm experiencing here a result of growth? So you have this question, how can I not get that identity in Christ? This is something that you're growing into, and you've got to give yourself time to grow. You've got to give yourself time to develop. Uh, the fact is, you're on a journey. That journey ends in the resurrection. That journey begins in faith. But between your faith and the resurrection, there's still a journey that you're taking. And so sometimes I think we have this lack of patience with ourselves that we then put back on God as if God should have done this already. When God is actually doing it right now, and you're on the journey and you're experiencing it. Uh, I think when you ask the question, how can the church, how can the church help or hinder, the church helps because we're a community of people who are on the journey together. We are pilgrims in a world that is not our home. And we're journeying to what God has promised us, and we do this together as a community. Where we hinder one another is when we develop this idea of my victory in Christ leads to some kind of triumphalism that says I should have no problems now. And we forget the journey part of Christianity. We, we, we forget the part of taking up my cross and following him. And so I'll give you an example. I, I have a, a family member uh, who has had to be institutionalized. Uh, because at times she does represent a genuine threat to herself and to other people. And there have been people in the church, because, you know, by the way, this family member was a, a pastor. And people in the church who have said, well, you know, we've, number one, some people tried to do an exorcism. You know, let's get that demon of depression out of her. Others tried to do other things. 
And the church didn't recognize, because at the time they didn't have people who could help lead them into this, that this is a part of this person's actual life, that this person's journey, they're carrying their cross, is involving this. And while we pray for healing, this is still a part of this person's journey and is part of their identity as who they are in Christ. Who they are in Christ is someone who's trusting Christ through this mental illness. And I think that the church that helps lead them in that journey is helping Other times, I think we do hinder because we misunderstand how God is actually at work. We misunderstand the relationship of healing to resurrection and the relationship of death to all three. I completely agree, uh, Dr. Tennyson. And I'll just add to that, that along the journey, you mentioned the role of the help of the community. That's, That's critical. But the good news is that God gives us professionals who have studied how we're wired and can give us tools and helps, in some case medications, that can help manage that, and that's a gift. I mean, Philippians 4.8 talks about the fact that if, if anything is excellent, praiseworthy, I mean, you know, uh, think on these things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, put my hand up and not accept help where help is beneficial. And so we, we, we have these things. I was in a small group at one point with my church, my community, my support, and I, you know, prayer requests. And, you know, I'm like, I'm experiencing a lot at this point in anxiety. I'm not sleeping. And then I'm not sleeping makes me more anxious. It's like a self-perpetuating cycle where it's a downward spiral. I mean, I'm, I need help. And it just happens that I had a PhD in psychology in my small group who said, called me on the carpet, honestly, and said, Sean, you know, there are ways to deal with this. You do not have to live like this. There's tools and techniques that can help you manage your anxiety better. You need actually to see a counselor. And, and, I, and I did that and moved in that direction. We have tools and resources. So the good news is God is at work in this. Our community is at work in this. But we have excellent professional care and tools and ideas in ways that we can help manage our personal health and to say, well, I'm just going to pray it away and I think those things are gifts from God. Those people that provide those services are, are gifted by the same God that gifted me. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll just throw this as another example. As a pastor, as a working pastor, I had cards of therapists that I trusted, uh, some who specialized in particular things. And I knew when someone came to my office, there might come a point where this counseling session ends with, I need you to call this person because you're dealing with issues of sexual abuse and this person specializes in this. And I guarantee you they will help you with that conversation. Just like I had sometimes members who got into legal trouble. And you know what? I would go to court with them, but I would still help them find a lawyer. Because I'm not a lawyer, right? And I would still say, here's someone that can help you with this. Here's someone who will guide you in this. And as a pastor, I will be on this journey with you, but I can't be that for you. I can't be that for you. I can't be that for you because I don't know those things. And to understand God is at work through all of this. You know, sometimes we have this idea that we only think it's the hand of God when we don't know how it was done. When the truth is, most of what God does in his work, he does through what he's already created, and that includes us. And if we could see that this is the work of God, we would rely on these things and understand that God is still just as much at work. You know, I used to, not used to, still today, I'll hear people say, well, why won't God just take it away, right? But I love where you're saying, this is still the work of God, the journey. And I think about the struggles that I go through, the struggles draw me closer. Um, and, and when life 
unfortunately, when life is going really great is the times where I put more distance between me and God. I don't need him as much. Everything's great, right? I, that's just me personally. Some of you might jump up and down and rejoice and be closer to the Lord during those times, but it's actually during the times where I recognize that I can't do it in my own strength that I realize just how much I need him. And I don't want you to automatically start going and saying, oh, so God has this abusive relationship with us in that way. And it's not, I'm just saying, I grow through the struggle. Um, if I just every time my kids come to me and cry and I just can make it better immediately, they don't learn how to do it on their own in some of those ways, right? They don't learn how when I'm not sitting right beside them and they can hear me and they can see me, um, they don't know how to handle that. So I have to coach them through things that they can do because they might not always see my presence, right? Um, and so God is always near, but unless you all have a better ear than I do, I can't always hear God. Um, I don't always remember all of the things. And so some of that's that he walks with me through the journey and he helps me have the opportunity to learn some things uh, that I can do to help myself but also that I can be there as a helper to other people. You talked about, you know, carrying the cross. Sometimes we're, we need to carry somebody else's cross. And, um, and so, yeah, I've got the cross to carry for myself. However, sometimes my burden is light and my friends is heavy, and it gives me an opportunity to go and walk beside them as well. That almost made me cry, too. <laughs> Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Backstory. So I was diagnosed with depression when I was in college at North Central. Um, and I was, a, I was super afraid to tell anybody. I didn't even tell anyone that I was going to a counselor because I was like, I don't, I don't know, that's, that's like a bad, that's a bad thing. <laughs> Again, I was like in college, uh, transferred in 2001. Um, and I thought people would judge me. Um, my faith is something that's central to who I am. It's a deep, deep-seated value. I love God. I believe God creates us I believe we're created in the image of God for a purpose that God has for us to fulfill his kingdom now every day until that final day. Those are deep-seated values that I have. Um, and at the same time, I was experiencing some pretty deep struggle that did not make sense to me. <laughs> I was like, this doesn't line up with all these things. What's happening? What's wrong with me? Uh, and so finally, I convinced myself that I, I, maybe I need to go to the hospital. I walked across the street to HCMC. It was like one of the scariest things I have ever done. So I'm like, what's, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen <laughs> to me. Anyway, I get diagnosed with depression. And, it, and for me, immediately, I felt relieved. Because I was like, oh, thank God. It's not just, you know, this. There's, there's, there's not actually something wrong with me. Uh, there's something going on that's affecting my life. And now that I know what it is, I'm better equipped to respond to it. It's something that I still manage to this day. And for the longest time, there are two things that affected my ability or willingness to share that with others. One, I was bought into this like American idealism of the individual can conquer everything by just themselves. <laughs> and so I had this false idea that, okay, I know what's happening. I can fix it on my own. I don't need anybody else. God's equipped me with everything I need. Um, forgetting that God creates us in the context of community for the purpose of living together to serve him, right? Um, and like as everyone said, God creates us each with different gifts and skills and talents for the benefit of one another, not for us isolated unto ourselves. 
Uh, and so I forgot that I'm created as a part of something and I need to participate in it with both my strengths and my challenges. Um, so that American idealism was one of them. And then two, um, I, I felt like I had to keep it hidden uh, because I bought into these false ideas um, that people of God shouldn't have these kinds of challenges. Um, and I thought I had to keep that hidden because people would judge me um, about it. Um, but, but then I f started finding that the more I was open to appropriately sharing, <laughs> I would say, the more I was open to sharing about my struggles, the more I realized that, well, I'm not alone in this. And like I said earlier, 80% of college students today say that they struggle with some level of depression or anxiety. So in fact, um, if I was in college today, I'd, I would actually be the norm. Um, and, and that was something that was really empowering to me as well. When I found those people um, that didn't judge me falsely um, and, and still had this sense of who I was and didn't challenge the values that I had just because I had a struggle. And that to me was this beautiful image of the body of Christ. And today, I'm very upfront with those who are close to me, one of Beth, which is why I was crying. <laughs> um, because there are times when I, I'll self-isolate, and I know those triggers, and I, ha and I have those people, you know, like Beth, that I reach out, and I'm like, I gotta I got get out, I gotta, I gotta do something, because I'm realizing that I'm having some bad patterns, and I don't wanna continue those. And so having people that are in right relationship with God, and right relationship with you, for me, has made all the difference. Thanks, Aaron. Do you want to share? I was just going to say, I think, you know, you're touching on so many, so many good things, but is that God created us for community. And if I have no needs, I have no need for others. And uh, it is very humbling for some of us to be able to just step out and say, I'm struggling in this area. Um, but it is such a beautiful image of of what God has created us for, is to rely upon one another and to, I mean, why... The Bible tells us God created a helpmate, right, for Adam. Um, it doesn't just have to be in the romantic sense, like, that God creates us for one another. Um, I won't go into too much on this, but my kids um, battle with some, you know, mental well-being um, as well. And um, last night was a rough night. Last night there was a lot of tears, uh, um, a lot of... Uh, anxiety and uh, one of the boys just starts screaming God help me as he's separating himself from me trying to isolate and I grabbed him sorry I'm gonna cry now but I grabbed him and held him and I said honey this is how God's helping you is he's put you with me and right now I'm gonna walk through this journey with you I'm going to carry this. You don't have to carry it all by yourself. And I wrapped him in my arms and I hugged him and I loved on him and I prayed with him until that began to leave his body. But it is that picture. Sometimes we're screaming and we're crying out, God, help me. And the help is right in front of us. And it is maybe a doctor. Maybe it is the medicine. Maybe it is a counselor. Maybe it's just that person that sits near us in the pew and we haven't been bold enough to, to reach out and say, I need somebody right now. But we cry out and we're always looking for miracles and oftentimes, you said it way better than I can, but he's right there. He's working through his creation in order to do that. You know, I'll just throw out one other thing. Just to be careful, I, I you know, 
early Pentecostals, I'm just to do a quick history thing, sometimes really struggled with understanding God at work uh, through ex- ordinary ways. And my grandfather was in a church where he got in trouble once because my uncle burned his arm and he put medicine on it. And the church was like, you didn't trust God because you, you, you treated the burn. Uh, some Pentecostals would actually ask, is it a sin for me to go to the dentist? You know, because can't God just feel my cavity? You know, do I have to go to a dentist for this? And I think sometimes we're, we're doing this simply in the other way, uh, that fear of going to a counselor or that fear of taking medication or that fear of is just what we said early on in our tradition because we didn't have a big enough vision of God and how God is at work to understand how these things are godly. I love that you say that that was not having a big enough vision of God because many people think us relying on modern medicine means we don't have a big enough vision of God. I love that. Okay, so we're almost done here. So I, I don't want to, I mean, this was, this was great sharing. Now this, I just want to reiterate, this is not like, hey, Dr. Tennyson, you're going to do the shalom thing and then we're going to have Aaron come in. You, don't go too early, Aaron. Just come in like this. This is, this is not scripted. This is not a part of this process. This is your faculty, staff doing life with you. We're not untouched by these things any more than you're untouched. And we're not experts in this stuff either, but we are maybe a little further along in the journey, right? And that, that's how we do community. And I want you to, to understand because it's a very vulnerable thing to, to sit up here and to be willing to, to do this vulnerability. There's a lot of places you go to where people would not want to sit up here because of what this generation could post in two seconds on Facebook and change the whole trajectory of these folks' lives, right? So this is risky. We take risks because we believe in you and we love you and we care about you and we want you to live a fulfilled life even when we're struggling and we're suffering. Um, and I hope you can take that away from this. But I'm going to, I'm going to, we, you know, we kind of just did a deep dive, at least it feels that way. Uh, so I'm going to kind of, you know, bring it, bring it back up to the surface. Um, uh, one of the things that we, we did, we sit, we do have a conversation about what this might look like. What do we want to get out of this? We want to talk about things that we don't normally talk about, things that are difficult to talk about. We want to talk about um, strategies that we can use. How are we going to get tools into your hand? But the, the one thing that came up in our discussion is we want to give hope. We want, to give, we want to give hope. And so you could leave right now, and it could be like, well, that was an interesting conversation, but I feel like now kind of comes this hope piece. Um, so let's, let's talk about, in, in, in your experience as a panel, be it yourself, with others, wherever it might be, um, or even in just conversations, because while you guys have walked roads on your own, you've also been here long enough and been around long enough to help people. Um, and... As a therapist, I know some things I help. I never tell the ones that don't work, but if you ever ask me, oh, and I did this, and it worked really great, and they never came back, and I, but you never say, and then I did this for months and months and months, and it never made a difference. You very rarely hear therapists tell those stories of trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and, and not having a breakthrough. But there are certain things that we do that we have found to be helpful, that we've found to work for some people in some situations. Um, and it's very easy, I think, in, in this context to say, well, that doesn't apply to me, or you don't know my story, or don't act like you know me, or what about all of these gaps that you didn't talk about, right? Because we try to find ways 
to create distance between something that's really challenging, and, and that's how we dismiss it. So I just want to take the last five minutes here to talk about things that you have used yourself or with others that have been hope providers um, or things that have been helpful to your journey. I'll, I'll throw one out that was really helpful to me, and it comes from, anyone here go to Emmanuel? This comes from Pastor Nate Roosh. So uh, uh, Nate was the vice president here, and his first year as a faculty member, he started off in the youth ministry area, uh, he had such a struggle with trying to keep up with the workload. You sometimes don't realize for first-year faculty, the workload is immense because you're writing lectures many times from scratch for every class, uh, that he had a grand mal seizure and uh, was actually told that the problem was that you just weren't getting enough sleep. And so my first year as a faculty member, I'm struggling. You know, I'm spending eight hours on every single lecture that I'm giving for the first time just to get it right. Uh, Not perfect, just to be able to, eight hours for one hour. And so I'm in the back of the chapel my first year. I am exhausted. I am depressed because I'm exhausted. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. And Nate puts his arm around me and sits down and says, how are you doing? And he starts talking to me, starts pastoring me. And I'll never forget what he said to me. And I've heard him say this before, but for me, it was a profound thing. He said, sometimes the only difference between hope and despair is eight hours of sleep. And basically, as at the time he was my vice president, he ordered me to go to bed. (laughs) That you need to focus on that. No matter what else you have to do, what you can't sacrifice is your sleep. That's something you have to say, I can't sacrifice that. I mean, our, our body and mind are connected, right? Um, I'll give you some of the basics. And, and being a counselor, I don't know how many times I would tell people and they'd roll their eyes and they didn't want to do it, but I'm telling you it works. Sleep, get enough water, um, exercise, get some, some level of activity going every day um some of those things are really really pivotal towards our our well-being but one of the things that i uh, also encourage people is what is maybe driving some of the the current feelings and it could be stress from school um, but oftentimes relationships are part of it i say deal with it don't shove everything under the rug but deal with the conflict or um, approach if you have um, hurt somebody go and talk to them and make amends Uh, if we're just letting all of that relational stuff just dwell within us it's really hard for us to to move forward into wellness and so um, handle the thing that it that's there and you might need to seek counsel before you do that Um, but but don't shove things away um, and just think that if you ignore them long enough, they'll go away. Because number one, you can't ignore them, really. And secondly, they don't go away. They just get bigger. Um, I was running downtown a, a couple of days ago in the morning, and nobody downtown when you're running makes eye contact or talks to you. But someone actually with a big smile on his face, 6.30 in the morning, he clearly had maybe two cups, of, three cups of coffee before this, with a big smile, I said, way to go, keep going, you're looking great. And this, I mean, this never happens, particularly in a downtown urban, urban area. But it, it, it reminded me that you need to hang around with people that tend to cheer you on. 
And so I, I got a text from my wife this morning. You, you, you're going to do great in the panel. Um, she, she overestimated. But, um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, they're, they're, you need to know yourself. Some of you like playing board games. Yes. And it might fill you up. This weekend, I'm telling you, for your personal health, grab some friends and play board games. I mean, you, you need to know. It may be running. It may be reading a book. It may be know what things fill you up. Tends to be around people that tend to encourage you along the way and they cheer you on. Say, hey, you're looking great. Way to go. They can come alongside you in the struggle, but are generally uplifting in there. This afternoon, I'm going to meet with a, a, another leader every Friday afternoon. For the most part, if it fits our schedules, we meet at 3.15. We grab coffee, and we do life together because I need that encouraging relationships. I prioritized it. I've ha- not had that, and then I prioritized it back in because I need it. it. Know yourself. Know things that tend to fill you up. Don't turn away from those. Actually engage them for your own personal health. I think learning how to be uplifting yourself, if that's not natural talent to you, is actually a really great skill for your overall well-being also. Because, you know, when you, when you say something to somebody and it makes them feel good, then you also feel good. It's mutually right. beneficial. And so I think that's really good. And I want to just affirm, you know, um, knowing yourself and knowing what outlets are going to bring life rather than take away from life. Um, as an introvert... Sometimes I would justify my isolation because I needed to be alone in order to fill myself up to be with others. And, and while that's true, I would falsely justify it as a way to isolate myself in which my depression got worse. And, and so finding ways to recognize, to stop and think, we're such an instant, fast culture. One of the greatest skills I developed for myself was the ability to stop and think. What's happening? Why am I thinking this way? what can I do about it? <laughs> What's my choice? Uh, and so sometimes the only choice I have is to go outside. And because nature is something that is uh, connected to my faith and my spirituality, go standing around trees. I know it sounds hippie, but it works for me. Go standing around trees, um, catching the sun when I can. And if it's not sun, recognizing the value of rain to the world and the planet. You know, simple things like that can really make a difference. And then even when I'm feeling well, I'll still go see a counselor. Um, so having, having those things that I do when I'm not well, I don't stop them just because all of a sudden I feel good. Um, having those continual patterns that are consistent is also super helpful at times. Great. Hopefully this has been helpful. My, my little quip for the day, my tweetable comment is, what are you willing to give up to go up? What are you willing to give up to go up? Doesn't mean everything, but there's sometimes you have to give up a little bit of your time to go see a counselor. You got to give up a little bit of your sleep to go work out. You got to give up a Netflix binge episode. You got to give up one of your social media accounts. I don't know what it is, but you might have to ask yourself, what are you willing to give up in order to go up? So there's questions on here, like what's the difference between stress, good stress, bad stress, um, self-esteem, there's a bunch of things on here that I have a lot of thoughts on that if you want, if you didn't get your question answered, please come to lunch and uh, grab your lunch, swipe your card, bring it down to the aquarium. We'll be down there. We'll also have time for more questions and more discussions. There was a question that said, what other resources besides counseling is available on campus to talk about this? Um, 
this is a reason. Sometimes you forget what you're seeing. Sometimes we provide things and people say, I'm really glad you did that. Good. How come you didn't come? Well, I didn't really want to go. You know, nobody showed up, but I was glad it was there, right? There are lots of things that are done for students in self-care, management from the, from the Student Success Center to Res Life um, to... Uh, Doug Graham being available. Uh, I don't know if you even know this, but the people on my team, we have 14 people on the student development team. Seven of them have training and credentials um, at the master's level in counseling, even though they're not counselors. So there's a lot of mental health resources available, even though they might not look like I just have to go to counseling. And sometimes we go to counseling because it validates that my problem is a big problem. So look to people, pastors, other folks that might be able to help walk this, this journey with you. But thanks for being here today. Uh, let me close with prayer and we'll send you on the way. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you do walk with us. Thank you that you are holding our hands and sometimes holding our entire bodies as you carry us through the storm, through the turbulence. But Lord, thank you for also allowing us when we're in a place of stability and a place of strength that we can lend our strength to others. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would show love and kindness to one another, building one another up in love as we seek to further your kingdom and be an example of your kingdom here in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.